This is Talk the Talk with Cameron Billis and Darren Weiss. Here's what's to expect on this week's podcast. You know what? There's no there's no cupcake games in the NFL. I was 100% ready to buy in to the Detroit Lions, and then SOL happened. And they just proved to me why they're not quite ready. Historically good teams, good franchises like Green Bay, like New England, like Atlanta, like Denver, they don't find ways to lose like the Lions find ways to lose. We're talking with Milan Lucic here on Talk to Talk. I would say it's probably the most pressure out of almost anywhere in North America uh, for any of the, the top four sports. And it caught my eye and it was something that I saw and that I knew that he was the real deal and he was a generational talent. I'm kind of happy you asked that question because that's a lot of uh, that's something that a lot of fans and people don't know. Like I said, I I still feel like it's not 100% written in stone that NHL players are not going. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Talk the Talk. Cameron Billis joined again by Darren Weiss and. Darren, we were talking about this before hopping on here. We want to apologize to everyone for a bit of a hiatus on our part. And, you know, things come up, crazy hurricanes. I don't know if you heard about uh, stor- the storm Irma, but uh, that affected at least one of us. So Even if you were under a rock, you uh, would have still got blown away by Irma. Oh, man, no kidding. But luckily, uh, everything's okay. And everyone around here in my uh, my Tampa, St. Pete area is, is doing okay and Things are going all right, so we're we're back to normal. Um, don't worry, everyone. We've got another special guest for you. We'll be joined by Edmonton Oilers star forward Milan Lucic, and we're really looking forward to that. It's a great discussion that the three of us have, so that's really exciting. And hockey's coming back soon. That's really exciting. But Darren, you and I, with our big break, really haven't had the chance to talk much football, and so now is our chance to really make that happen. And boy, were there some doozy games today. But of course. Both of us being from Detroit, we have to talk about our Detroit Lions. And Darren, S-O-L, same old Lions, came through once again against the Atlanta Falcons. Cameron could not have said it better myself. Um, I actually did think the Lions, you know, coming into the season, the line, all the questions were with the Lions front seven, the defensive line and the linebacking core. The Lions were down. Jared Davis, their rookie first-round pick from Florida, and anytime you take three balls away from Matt Ryan, you turn Matt Ryan over three times, you have to capitalize. And the Lions could just not do that. Stafford could not move the ball. The play calling, I thought, was very conservative on Jim Bob Cooter's part. And they just couldn't put points up on the board. And at the end of the game, they were down at the one-yard line, 20 seconds left. I think you try to punch it in the first time. You have no timeouts left, but you still have enough time. And then you go to the air. You know, they were going shotgun, trying to do back of the end zone. It's one yard. Don't get cute. Play old-fashioned football. It's, you know, it's a game of inches and, and punch it in. But with that being said, the Lions put up a fight against arguably the second-best team in the NFL who lost in the Super Bowl last year. So, you know, 2-1 and one after three games, Cameron. I mean, if you would have told me that before the season started, I would have said, give me that. And it's interesting that you say that because I agree with you from that point. If you said the Lions were to go 2-1, and one, that'd be a great start for them. But a lot of judgment that takes place on NFL schedules is based off how teams performed last year. And boy, how quickly things can change. You take a look at the Arizona Cardinals and the New York Giants, and what many considered to be two pretty decent, high-quality, playoff-contending teams don't appear to be anything of the sort three games into the season. 
were those good wins? Were those just games that they should have won? I tend to lean toward the latter when you adjust your expectations pretty much on a game-by-game basis when you actually see the team that you're playing. So should they have beaten Arizona at home? Absolutely. Should they have beaten the New York Giants? I know it was a road game and Stafford struggled with those, and I'll talk about that in just a second. But that team is not good. They're not a playoff contending team, and they're probably going to finish in dead last in the NFC East. You know what? I, they will finish in dead last in the NFC East because the re- I mean, the Eagles are going to win it. That's my prediction. We'll get to more predictions later. The Cowboys are still a good team, and they're going to find a way to compete. And Kirk Cousins is going to find a way to win some games for the Redskins. So the Giants have a tough, tough road ahead of them. But I want to talk more about the Lions, and we're going to discuss if they are a playoff team. What really stood out to me, and I didn't get a chance to watch the game against the Falcons because I was busy at work and I didn't have a TV. I was out on the beach for a watch party for the Tampa Bay Rays. But I heard about it, and I saw the ending. For starters, Golden Tate, in my eyes, he was down. The rule is unfortunate that the 10-second runoff happened, but that is a rule, and the refs got that right. It's unfortunate the Lions had to suffer a loss like that, but as you said, you can't force three turnovers and not come away with a win. You just you have to capitalize on the turnovers, like I said. And you know, going back uh, a couple seconds on your take on you know, are the Cardinals, are the Giants, are they good teams? You know what? There's no there's no cupcake games in the NFL, Cameron, and that's something that I think people tend to lack to understand. You know, anytime you see Cleveland or New York or you know even Chicago this year playing in a game, you would think you know, oh, this should be a cakewalk. And you know what? It's it's the NFL. You know, all these guys are superior, and all these guys were, all these guys are the best in the world. You know, so you know Chicago beat Pittsburgh in overtime today. It's still hard to go on the road on Monday night to New York to the Meadowlands. I know the Giants don't look good. The offensive line looks terrible. Eli Manning does not look good. I don't know how he has two rings. Um, it's still hard to go to these places on primetime television and win. So, are they bad teams? Yes. But could they have easily lost those games? Absolutely. And they showed a lot of resilience. And I think this is this is a different Lions team. Now, it was same old Lions today. You never see a team like the Patriots, like the Broncos, you know, um, lose the way the Lions lose on these tough breaks, this 10-second runoff or these made-up rules. If you remember that batting away in, in the Lions and the Seahawks on Monday night, I think, a year ago or two years ago, it's just historically good teams, good franchises like Green Bay, like New England, like Atlanta, like Denver, they don't find ways to lose like the Lions find ways to lose. Darren, I could not agree with you more. And tell me if you think differently here, but I understand the Lions, they made the playoffs last year and they weren't quite able to win the division, but they had it. It was theirs for the taking. So in my eyes, the expectations going into this season were you need to win the NFC North. That should be the goal. And when I'm watching that Giants game on Monday night, I really liked what I see. I really did. I liked the defense. It was fantastic. That might have been the best defensive performance I've seen from the Detroit Lions in several years. But what no one seemed to notice, or maybe they noticed and just didn't want to talk about it because they were too happy the team was able to win a game on the road and just didn't want to look at their flaws. But Jim Bob Cooter's offense in that second half was abysmal. They could not get anything going. And I have I have an interesting stat for you here. Last last year, 
in the second half of games outside of the final two minutes in overtime, Lions offense scored 6.58 points per game in the second half. That's got to be the last in the NFL. That is absolutely terrible. It shows that Jim Bob Cooter cannot make second half adjustments. And, you know, you might ask, well, why are you not counting the final two minutes? Those points count. And yes, they do. But here's why I'm not including it. And that is because when you get in the final two minutes, it's a different offense. It's not a game plan. It's no huddle, move as fast as you can, hurry up. And that's where Stafford flourishes. And that's not Jim Bob Cooter. That's Stafford taking control and running in the offense on his own. So that's why I didn't include the Lions points from the final two minutes of the second half. And you know what? Can I piggyback on something there, Cameron? And that is, I agree with you completely. I don't understand. You see, I think the NFL is all about the system that you're in. Like, would Brady still be in the NFL if he got drafted by the Lions or Browns? Probably not. Would Aaron Rodgers be who he is if he wasn't in a Green Bay setting? I think it's all about the system, and you have to play to your specific players, your best player's strengths. And Jim Bob Cooter is so conservative. He never lets Stafford air the ball out, take chances down the field. Stafford has a cannon for an arm. He, he's a gunslinger. All these checkoffs and everything, Riddick's great in open space, don't get me wrong. But we have all these long bodies. We drafted Galladay this year in the draft. We uh, have Marvin Jones, another long, big, athletic guy. TJ Jones takes some shots downfield. Ebron's another one. You have these big targets. You go and get these weapons, and you're playing so conservative. And it's so predictable. Every first and ten, oh, run off tackle to the right side. Run off tackle to the left side for two yards. You know, it's open it up. Let's see some end arounds to Tate. Let's see some play actions on first down. I don't mind a run on second and seven, but you can't run the ball on second and ten. You just can't do it. Like, you got to play to the strengths. I know we haven't, the Lions have not had a 100-yard rusher since Reggie Bush in 2012 or 13. So don't, don't force something that's not there. Stafford is your strength. Let's use it, and we'll piggyback the run off that. You know, the, then the conversation comes up of, well, is that Jim Bob Cooter? Is that Jim Caldwell, I think it's a combination of both. What Caldwell is in control of is game plan preparation going into the matchup. And then once you get into the game, he's more in charge of timeouts, challenges, moves like that. Whereas the in-game action and play calling and uh, more tactician stuff, that's on Jim Bob Cooter. And a lot of times you, you walk away from a game after watching and you think, where where was their mindset? What what were they thinking? Because they couldn't make in-game adjustments to save their life. No, I absolutely agree with you. And as you said about the NFC North, it's such it's such a hard division to win in. I mean, you have Aaron Rodgers, arguably, you know, the first or second best quarterback in the league. Minnesota's always tough. You know, even Chicago, all three teams won today and the Lions lost. So they all made up ground. You had it's so, so, so important in this division. You just, I mean, in football, you got to win in general. But the NFC North, if you want to win, you need to win games at home and you need to win close games. And the conservative, the conservative play call is not going to win you a majority of games. And Darren, that's the thing. I agree with you when you mentioned earlier about how there's no cakewalks in the NFL. You're 100% right on that. But 
you look at the best teams in the league and they win the games they're supposed to win. It doesn't have to be a blowout. You can win a game by three points. You can win a game by 15 points. A win's a win. I'm not expecting the Lions to blow out bad to mediocre teams. I'm expecting them to look good and I'm expecting them to give me competent football. I don't think that's asking for too much. And today's loss was unfortunate from what I understand. They gave a hell of an effort. They played competent football. People were mad at me after the Giants game because I wasn't invested in this team. I didn't I didn't fully buy in. I was 100% ready to buy in. I'm looking at my phone. I'm seeing what's happening. I'm scrolling through my Twitter feed and just thinking, oh, my, what's happening? Did the Lions win? I was 100% ready to buy in to the Detroit Lions. And then SOL happened. And they just proved to me why they're not quite ready. You know, next week will be a good test. We go to Minnesota. Delvin Cook looks really good. The run... Oh, our run defense, Cameron, today. Oh, did it look awful. Freeman, I mean, these holes were as big as classroom hallways. Oh, um, so th- that will be interesting. You know, three games in, still early. No Jared Davis made a difference in the middle. Um, so we'll see who's for real, who's a contender, who's a pretender in the NFL. And it's three games in, so you want to, I mean, what do you think? You want to go through a couple teams here early and, you know, we'll, we'll, think, we'll say who's a pretender, who's a contender? Yeah, 100%. But before we do this, I just want to leave this this conversation with one more stat. Matthew Stafford, against teams over 500 in his career, is 4-44. And on t- uh, against teams over 500 on the road, 1-24. I'm not ready to buy in until he can start beating good football teams. That's when, I bu- that's when I'll buy in. All right, so let's move on to some preview predictions from other divisions across football. Do you want to start with the NFC or the AFC? Why don't we start with the AFC? And, um, <clears throat> you know, the Jets beat the Dolphins today. Cutler looked awful. I'm not worried about either of those two teams. Buffalo was sitting at 2-1. and one. Now, we know New England is a Super Bowl contender. We don't have to go over them. Is Buffalo for real? They traded Sammy Watkins. They made a lot of offseason changes, and they're sitting 2-1. Two, two and one. McCoy looks good. What, 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 what do you think there? They got a shot at maybe the wild card? You know, I'm not going to give them a shot yet. I think it's it's the Patriots division to lose, obviously. I know when in one of our earlier podcasts when the Dolphins signed Jay Cutler, I mentioned how I really liked the Dolphins until they made that move. And now I thought the Bills were the second best team in, in the AFC East. So I don't think they're quite a playoff contender, but you, you really never know with these young head coaches. I mean, just... They find a way to rile the troops. It's in it's in the the clutch and the end of seasons where things can start to unravel. But for the time being, the Bills, like you said, two and one, and uh, they're in it right now. I just think they're more pretenders. I agree with you. Um, AFC North. I personally don't like any of the teams in this division. Pittsburgh went to Chicago, lost in overtime. I still think they're the favorite. I don't think Cleveland. Um, they're still a couple years away, rookie quarterback, obviously. Cincinnati, I mean, they're having offensive problems. They took Green Bay to overtime. They should have beat Green Bay. I, I could see them rebounding. It's going to be tough starting off 0-3. And Baltimore went to London this morning, played Jacksonville, got blown out 44-7. to I mean, I think Pittsburgh's going to win the division, but is there anyone else in there that is a contender, Cameron, or is Pittsburgh even a pretender even though they're going to win the division? Well, I'll answer your first question first and the Ravens are contenders they're experienced you know 
you can only you have to take into account the travel to London, and you really don't know how that affects teams. So I'll I'll give them a pass on that. The Jaguars, and we'll get to the AFC South in just a minute, but they're looking pretty good too. Um, I'll say the Ravens are uh, contenders, excuse me, because they've been there before. They know what it takes. This is just one loss. They're not going 16-0. As far as the Steelers go, I like them a lot. I Right now, they're my pick to win it all. I think they are a very complete team um, who has maybe yet to fully put it together, but they have a ton of guys who have played a long time together. I love the Joe Hayden signing to begin the year. Great signing. I still think he's got a couple years left in the tank. Yep, and so this, I think this is the year they finally take the Patriots down. That um, that's a bold, that's a very bold uh, prediction. We'll see, we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. AFC South again. Houston's offense just absolutely terrible. It's too bad because they have a, I think they have a pretty above average defense that can keep them in games. It's just. Um, the inconsistency in offense isn't going to do it. Their offensive line is no good. Dwayne Brown's still holding out. They're all pro tackle. Um, Indianapolis without luck. I mean, you know, without luck, they're not going to, you know, Jacoby Brissett, you know, they're nothing. Jacksonville, again, they're 2-1. and one. Is Bortles going to get it together? It all rides on Bortles because their defense is fast, strong, and physical, and they can contend with anyone in the league. And then Tennessee... Some days Mariota looks like Super Mario, and other days he looks like, I don't not Super Mario. Yeah, you know, it, it seems like year in, year out, this is consistently the worst team or the worst division in football. And I think last year the Texans won the division at 7-9, and nine, if I'm not mistaken. I believe they were 9-7. 9-7, and, seven. Nine and seven, okay. Um, but this year it's the Titans division to lose. I mean, like you said, Mariota might be hot and cold, but... I just, you know, luck, maybe, if the Colts can find a way to stay in it by the time he comes back, reportedly he's not too far away, maybe they have a shot. I still wouldn't give it to him. Their offensive line is abysmal. They've got a lot of problems. The Jaguars, you really don't know what you're going to get. You can't ch- trust Blake Bortles, and I trust Mariota way more than I trust him. The Texans, if they can't find consistent offensive play, then their defense can only do so much. So Titans, I would say, are playoff contenders. But that's as far as they're going to get. Everyone else, pretenders. And a quick note on the Titans. If you look at what they've done over the last couple years to assemble their team, they started in the grudges in the offensive line. Uh, They got Taylor Awan. They got the kid from uh, Michigan State. And then they drafted a quarterback. They went on to get Corey Davis this year from Western Michigan. Derrick Henry last year in the second round, the running back from Alabama. I like how they construct their team. They just get same kind, same kind of thing with Bob Quinn with the Lions. They just get guys that want to play football, that just want to hit hard, love the game, and just want to be out there. Yeah, I agree. I really do think uh, they've done it the right way. And for the moment, it's paying off for them. So, like you said, the Titans I, are going to walk away with the AFC South, I think, rather easily. Finally, in the AFC, let's talk about the AFC West. You go from... Worst to first, the AFC West, oh my gosh, what a tough division. Best division in football, no doubt. Um, Los Angeles Chargers moving from San Diego. I do like their team. Do I think that um, this year, probably not. Um, Denver, I don't like the quarterback play. Um, Oakland, I really do like Oakland. Um, And Kansas City looks unbelievable. Un- unbelievable. So I-, I like Kansas City and then I like Oakland to take a wild card. I don't think Denver has the 
consistent quarterback play. You know, we Denver, you're right. The, we'll see what happens with Trevor Simeon. I disagree with you there. I think three teams from this division are going to make the playoffs. They're so talented. The Broncos, their defense is so good. The Chiefs, oh my gosh, talk about coming out of nowhere. I mean, they were a good team, but Alex Smith has elevated his game to a whole nother level. They came in and opened this 2017 season with an absolute bang against the New England Patriots. They are for real. Um, we'll see if it can continue, and we'll see if Alex Smith can keep this going for a whole year. I think he can. I think the Chiefs are right up there with the Pats and Steelers fighting for uh, the AFC title. Yeah, um, I think Kansas City struck gold with Kareem Hunt um, out of Toledo. He looks just amazing. Uh, it should be a really interesting division. Alex Smith has always, I thought, been a game manager, so to speak. Um, and he's really proved me wrong, at least this year. He looks unbelievable, at least in the first three weeks as they go to 3-0. And now why don't we go on to the uh, NFC, Cameron. Uh, where do you want to start, the NFC East? Yeah, let's go to the NFC East. For me, this, this, this is the Eagles. You know, a lot of people came into the season riding the Cowboys. And for me, give me the Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles. The Giants, done last place. Kirk Cousins, he's a roller coaster. I don't want to even touch uh, Dak and Ezekiel and the nightmare they've got going on there. I still think they will they'll make the playoffs because their offensive line is so good, but give me the Eagles to win the NFC East. You know, I kind of, call me crazy, I kind of like Washington, and I'll tell you why. Cousins, once again, in a contract year, I think he has something to prove. I'm not completely sold on Carson Wentz yet. Um, Dallas Cowboys, I don't think Dak and Ezekiel can replicate what they did last year. I still think they can build off the season, have good seasons, but to have the seasons they had last year is very, very difficult. Um, I, I'm going to go on a limb, and I, I'm going to say Washington's going to eke out the division at 10-6, uh, and six, and Dallas and Philly are each going to win nine. Wow. Well, I'll disagree with you on one part. Other than the Redskins winning the division, I, Carson Wentz is the best quarterback in that division. Um, uh, yeah, you can make a case for that, sure. Uh, yeah, him. There's, there's good. Key, I mean, him, Dax, and Kurt are all very close. If I have to win a big game, and I know he's only a second-year player, but give me Carson Wentz. What big games has he won for you in the last 19 games for you to say that? Has he won that big game? Maybe not, but I just his he seems to always be so so calm and collective, and he just he makes big throws. What has Kirk Cousins won? That that's also true. You know, no one in that other than Eli Manning in those in those playoff games and Super Bowls, which, like you said, kind of still blows my mind that he has won two championships. But you know, even lately, what big games has Eli won? No one in that division. That division is the most overrated division in football. Oh, totally. I mean, th- I mean, that's the those four teams are f- some of the biggest fan bases in the NFL, and they always get the primetime games and and what have you. But no, I agree with you. Um, you know, if Carson Wentz is your guy and you like him, I get it. Um, Philly's shown a lot this year. They're two and one, and uh, should be interesting to see what happens there. Um, now to our home division, the NFC North. Uh, I mean. Green Bay is going to win the division. They always start off slow. They have a track record of starting off slow. It takes Rodgers, you know, a month to get his legs under him and get the offense firing. The real question is, is Minnesota or Detroit, 
who's going to come in second place. Because Chicago doesn't have the quarterback play. They signed Mike Lennon. They drafted Trubisky out of North Carolina. They don't – not this year. Not this year. So I think it's a three-team division, and Detroit and Minnesota are going to fight for second place. I ultimately like how Detroit has played in the first three games. I think they uh, fall one game behind uh, Green Bay for second in the division and sneak into a wild-card berth. Yeah, this, this is Green Bay again. I mean, Detroit has yet to figure out how to beat them in big-time games. Um, and But like you said, Detroit has looked good so far. Um, their defense seems to be putting things together. I know that they just gave up, what, 30 points to the Falcons, but the Falcons probably have the best offense in the NFL, so that's really not something to hang your cap, uh, hang your cap on. And what they get, I think they had uh, 20 in the, they had 17 or 20 in the first half. So if you look at it that way, I really like the second half adjustments they made there. Um, I think, uh, I think the defense is a lot better than what people give them credit for. That's Detroit I'm talking about. Terrell Austin is a really, really smart guy. And if the lines, if the defense continues to, uh, to put up results, he will get more head coaching interviews this offseason. Oh, for sure. Having said that, though, the Lions are going to finish in third place. And everyone's going to be really, really pissed off that they gave Jim Caldwell that extension because he should have been fired after last season and that horrendous finish that the team had. Oh, I, I agree completely. Mike Zimmer's a really good head coach, and I know that they struggled to end the year last year, but I think they're going to figure things out from those mistakes a year ago. And even with Case Keenum, if he continues to be their starter which I don't think Sam Bradford is going to be out for that long. And there's even a chance Teddy Bridgewater comes back. But even with Case Keenum, the Vikings are going to finish ahead of the Detroit Lions in the standings. But the Packers are still going to win it. NFC South, Cameron. Um, Breeze is definitely on the back nine. Still a productive quarterback. I don't think the Saints should pay him next year. Just Their defense, it seems like, every single game gets blown out of the water for 30 points. Um, I liked Tampa coming in. Jameis Winston. We'll see what happens. Um with them. Carolina, I don't get it. They were in the Super Bowl two years ago. Cam Newton's been banged up. He has not looked like the MVP of himself. This is this is definitely uh, Atlanta's division, and I think the other three teams in that division are just mediocre. Couldn't say it better. You know, coming into the year, I think you and I both had really high expectations for the Bucks and the Panthers, as well as the Falcons, and like you said, the Falcons just look so good, and they might have won by a fluke today and a technicality, but they still won Good teams find a way to win, and the Falcons have become one of the best teams in the NFL, so they'll they'll take home the NFC South this year. And I don't know if you saw, but um, a former uh, a former uh, friend of the show, Cameron Braid, had a touchdown for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so we just wanted to give him a shout-out on that and congratulate him on a good game and uh, look forward to uh, watching him the rest of the season as well. Uh, moving on to the NFC West. I mean, it seems like Seattle always starts off slow, just like Green Bay, and I think ultimately they're going to win the division. San Francisco, not this year. I like what Lynch is doing in his first year, and he'll take a couple years, but he'll get it right. John Lynch is a very smart guy, the new general manager. Arizona, Carson Palmer just looks terrible, and I, I just don't think the Rams are for real. I do, I'm not really a golf guy. I don't. Gurley, I know, had a big game. I'm not crazy about him. Um, I think this is still Seattle's division to lose. It's Seattle's to lose. Give me the Rams as a wild card team. I like them. I like them a lot. 
I think Wade Phillips coming in as the defensive coordinator is going to work wonders for them. I know they just gave up a ton of points to the 49ers, but it was on the road. It's still early in the season, and they found a way to deal with that adversity and still win the game. So in a division that, you know, they get to play the 49ers twice. They already beat them once. That's two easy wins. You'll probably steal a win against the Cardinals. If you know, So you're looking at maybe five to six wins outside of the division. And that's if you lose to Seattle twice. I think it's very doable. Give me the Rams as a wild card team with Seattle winning the NFC West. Okay, so those are our predictions three games into the NFL season. Um, you know, we talked a lot about playoffs there, Cameron. And a guy that we're having on next, our special guest, Milan Lucic, is no, uh, no rookie when it comes to the playoffs. He's no stranger when it comes to NHL playoffs. And uh, we're extremely excited to have him on our show Uh Cameron, you want to welcome Milan on? When you talk about playoffs, there's no better playoffs than the NHL playoffs, and Milan Lucic has his fair share of appearances in the NHL postseason. Alongside now our very special guest, Edmonton Oilers left winger, Stanley Cup champion with the Boston Bruins, and power forward in the NHL. Milan, thanks for coming on the show and uh, taking the time here on Talk the Talk. Hey, Milan, thanks for coming on. So, you know, you came up in Boston as a 19-year-old teenager. How, were, how nervous were you? Who were some of your mentors when you were coming up? Was that an unfamiliar situation for you? Yeah, it was, uh, it was really unfamiliar. I was, uh, I was pretty nervous, uh, you know, a little, you know, a little, little starstruck taking it all in. Obviously, uh, a, a young kid, like you said, 19 years old, kind of just taking it all in living the dream of, of getting an opportunity to play in the NHL and going to a city like Boston uh, where actually I had I didn't know really anything about I didn't know much about the city only thing I really knew was the Boston Tea Party that was really kind of it <laughs> but I didn't really know that I didn't really know the history of Boston I mean I obviously knew of all the sports teams that were there but I, didn't, I, I wasn't really a big Boston sports fan so I didn't really know much about the history of of the four teams there. Uh, so, you know, there was a lot coming at me at a really young age, especially, like I said, at a city where I didn't know really anything about. I didn't have any family there. I didn't have anything. So I was just a kid on my own. And uh, all I really had was my teammates. And uh, my roommate at the time uh, for my first two years was uh, Mark Stewart. Uh, he's from Minnesota. Uh, we were rookies together, and uh, my, like I said, my first two years, we, uh, we lived together. Uh, he helped me a lot, just from a, a living standpoint, kind of helping me out, uh, you know, with all that type of stuff. And, and so I, I didn't have to do everything by myself uh, right away. But, you know, like I said, he helped me a lot and kind of took care of me like an older brother uh, those first two years. And, you know, as far as the older guys go, you know, there was, uh, you know, I had a pretty good older group. Uh, of, of guys that I could look up to, uh, like, uh, you know, Sean Thornton and, and uh, Glenn Murray and P.J. Ackleson and Mark Savard and, uh, you know, those type of guys. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was a fun group to be a part of. Uh, to be honest, uh, that's, it's pretty crazy to think about it, but that was uh, 10 years ago now. And uh, uh, the longer my career goes, the, the more and more I seem to forget of, of of my early years, but I just remember it being a whirlwind and kind of trying to bring, being a part of a group to try to bring, you know, hockey back to, uh, 
you know, the Bruins back into the Boston area where people started caring about them again. And, and uh, we obviously did that from our, our very first season. Milan, there's obviously a lot of pressure that takes place being an athlete in Boston with it being such a famous sports town. You said that when you kind of started there, you didn't really know much about Boston sports. Do you think, in a sense, that helped you not necessarily having that pressure of knowing how big it was, how big of a sports town it was, or did, did that not really matter to you? Yeah, I think so for sure. You know, I just I just went into the I, I just went in there with the mentality to to have fun and kind of enjoy it all and embrace it all, and uh, whatever came with it came with it. And like you said not knowing about the pressures of playing in Boston, which now, after spending year eight years there, I would say it's probably the most pressure out of almost anywhere in North America uh, for any of the, the top four sports uh, playing uh, it, it, uh, as far as the pressures from the media and the fans and the, and the city go. It's probably the most pressure uh, that comes with, uh, with playing in, a, in a major sports markets, but I think it helped me a lot, kind of uh, not knowing, uh, you know, th- those type of pressures. And to be honest, like I said before, you know, the Bruins didn't have a lot of pressure when I first got there. There wasn't a lot of expectations. Uh, people, I think, cared more about uh, BC and BU hockey teams than they did <laughs> about the Bruins. I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember my first, uh, my first home game, the season opener. Back in 2007, we played the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, and they said there was 13,000 people or tickets sold, which I think that's how many tickets were sold. But there were maybe nine nine thousand people in the crowd, and uh, yeah, it was. I remember being able just to walk walk to the rink, walk in and out of the rink of the TD Garden there, and nobody would bother you, and nobody really uh, nobody really cared, and you know they you know the people that. Don't get me wrong; they were still they were still diehard Bruins fans, but they kind of gave up on them because they hadn't, you know, they kind of went in the direction that uh, you know the, the the fans didn't have much to cheer about, especially after the Joe Thornton trade. And uh, but yeah, just just like I said, just going into a situation where I was just happy to be living my dream of playing in the NHL, enjoying that. I think that's what helped me kind of overcome the pressures of being in a market like that. Milan, you had your best statistical season in 2011, 30 goals, 62 points, and I don't think it was any coincidence that you guys won the Cup that year. Can you talk about, you You know, you were sort of the main catalyst on that Cup-winning team. You know, you were a goal scorer, but you were also, you know, a physical force. Talk about your role on that team and how strenuous or how crazy is the NHL playoff run? Because of all the four main sports, people say that is by far the, the toughest stretch for a postseason run. Yeah, uh, you know, looking back, as as tough as it was, it was it was definitely a lot of fun, especially when you're when you're raising the cup at the end of it. So it doesn't seem as tough uh, looking back at it now because you got you got something out of it. But uh, you know, looking back at that season, I think I think a reason why I had a really good season that year was because of the season before. I mean, if you look at my 2009 2010 numbers. Statistically, it was my worst year. Uh, I battled injury all year. I broke my finger. I had a high ankle sprain, which I battled the whole season. And uh, I came back the next year with a chip on my shoulder and, and something to prove. And, you know, I kind of just 
uh, kind of going back to what I what I said, what my mentality was as a 19-year-old, I kind of went in with uh, that type of mentality of, you know, I didn't really care about what was being said about me on the outside and, and all that type of stuff. I was just going to go and have fun and enjoy my teammates and try to enjoy play hockey again because the year before was a pretty miserable year. You know, I, did, I didn't enjoy hockey. Uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't enjoy going to, to the rink on a day-to-day basis. And I wanted to make uh, going to the rink and, and, and playing hockey fun again. And that was my mentality going into that season. And I think that's why uh, it ended up being my, my best season. And, uh, you know, going into the playoffs, uh, you know, I think out of look at all the teams uh, won in the last that time, you can probably say uh, was the one team that won that was an actual team. You know, we weren't really led by one superstar which, uh, I mean, we had the goaltending from Tim Thomas, uh, a Flint, Michigan boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah, that's, you know, I have to throw that in there for you. But, <laughs> um, you know, he, he obviously had an unbelievable playoff run. Uh, I'll never take anything away from him from what he did between the pipes for us and, and hanging in there and, and keeping my, us in every game to win, uh, to win that Stanley Cup. But uh, my point being here, as far as, forwards and defensemen, uh, you know, we were a team that won because everyone contributed in, in their own ways. Uh, you know, we weren't led by a superstar on forward and defense. We were, we were, we were a team. I mean, I let me and David Krejci led the team in points during the season with 92 po- or not 92, sorry, 62 points each. And we played the Vancouver Canucks in the finals. And I think they had four or five guys who outscored us in the season that year. So, you know, my point being, we were just a team that was so committed to, to playing a certain way and having each other's backs. And, you know, you talk about that playoff run. We had to win three game sevens. And <laughs> honestly, uh, I don't think it gets any harder than that, is having to go uh, through three game sevens and, and – and, you know, grinding it out, you know, two of the game sevens were down 0-2 in the series and had to battle our way back, including the, the Stanley Cup finals. We were down the first two games uh, in Vancouver, but, you know, we found a way to, to keep battling and keep grinding and keep pounding away. And, and like I said, it, uh, it, it, it didn't seem as hard at the end of it when you're, when you're raising the Stanley Cup. We're talking with Milan Lucic here on Talk to Talk. Milan, you just mentioned a Game 7 of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Kind of take us through what the preparation for that is like. I mean, it's almost a different animal. Game 7 is just on a such higher platform. What What's your mindset going into the day, kind of going into the arena? What's What's the differences there between a regular playoff game? Well, I got to say, uh, out of all the Game 7s I've played, I would say the most calm and the least nervous I have been and the, and the group that I've been a part of has been was the, the, the Stanley Cup Game 7 that I played in uh, in 2011 uh, on June 15th in Vancouver. It was, I think the mentality was because we knew, win or lose, it was the last game that we were going to play that year. And, you know, no matter what I think our mentality was, was, we believed in ourselves. We 
believed in each other and we believed in the system that we were playing and we were just going to we were just going to go out there and, and leave it all out on the ice and kind of let the result take care of itself and and that's what it and that's that's exactly what happened and um you know i it's pretty crazy to think about this but you know i've been a part of 10 game sevens now in the playoffs and i think my record is four and six <laughs> so i've been on the losing end more than the winning end of all that and there's definitely a lot of nerves that go into it um you try to take in take the mentality of you know uh, you know, preparing like it's just another game, just to, just to help you relax. Even though it's more than just another game, but you know, having that mindset that it, it is just another game, it kind of helps you relax and, and focus on the things that you need to focus on. And and from my experiences, from the ones that I've won, uh, you know, those are that's that's kind of the 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 things that have uh, have helped our teams win more than lose in, in those situations. Now, being from Vancouver and having to face them in the Stanley Cup Finals, when you beat them, I, there was a lot of reports and stories that I read that you weren't really able to celebrate in your hometown as much because people were upset. There were riots after the Cup was won. Did that take away from the moment for you, not being able to share that with your, your hometown? Yeah, a little bit. Just not... I think you said it right there, just not being able to kind of share that with uh, my hometown because a lot of people were upset, uh, you know, about the Canucks losing. And, I mean, there were some ridiculous things that, you know, some people were saying to me, like, kind of like, you know, they almost made it sound like, you know, I set it up that I was going to be drafted by Boston and, I set up that we were going to play Vancouver in the finals. Like, like I had control of who, you know, I was going to play against in the Stanley Cup finals and, and all this type of stuff. And there was just, you know, so much craziness that was being said. And, you know, especially because, you know, my junior career, you know, I was, I was really loved and embraced by my hometown. You know, just because, I, you know, I was an East Vancouver kid. You know, kind of from, you know, the real heart of Vancouver uh, and, you know, kind of came out of nowhere and, and did it the hard way to make the NHL. And, you know, I, I, I helped uh, the junior team, the Vancouver Giants, in the WHL win, win the Memorial Cup, which is the national championship in the, in the, in the CHL. And, uh, you know, in our hometown in Vancouver back in 2007. And so, you know, I was, like I said, I was really embraced by a, a lot of the people in Vancouver before, uh, you know, before this uh, 2011 uh, Stanley Cup final. And, you know, it, it, it kind of sucked, like like you guys said and like I said, that I wasn't really able to share that experience as much as I would have liked with the people and the city of, uh, of Vancouver as I would have hoped or as I would have liked. But, but going back to that day, all said and done, you know, now that I think about it more, the more and more, you know, I, I got to celebrate it with the people that you know meant the most to me and, and cared about me, and you know, and uh, you know, the people that you know were my true friends and and, and family and, and all that type of stuff. So, looking back, uh, I definitely, as much as there was mixed emotions, I, I still definitely. 
really enjoyed the fact that I that I won the, the Stanley Cup and you know kind of blocked off uh, all that other stuff of of people you know in my hometown not liking the fact that I did it because at the end of the day you might only get one shot to achieve your dream of winning the Stanley Cup and and you know I've been in the league ten years and I've been to two Stanley Cup finals and. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to win one of them, and I may never win one again. So, uh, you know, it doesn't matter who you beat uh, and, and where you win it. It's just the fact that you won it, and, and you remember that more than anything. We're chatting with Milan Lucic, forward for the Edmonton Oilers. Now, Milan, before you signed with Edmonton two off-seasons ago, you got traded after eight seasons in Boston to go to L.A., and you know, you were there for one season, and I know that you're a huge fan of, of L.A. You you spend time here in L.A. in the offseason. You train. Um, and I think uh, all signs pointed that you wanted to stay in L.A. and play, but things didn't work out, and you chose to go to Edmonton. Can you talk a little bit about your time in L.A. and how you came to a decision with Edmonton after a season? Uh, yeah, the trade to, the trade to uh, L.A. was, uh, I mean, after my last year in Boston, I was kind of prepared for anything to happen, you know, be, staying in Boston or being traded. Uh, but the fact that I got traded in L.A., uh, I was actually really excited about it. I was really pumped about it. That I was going to a place like Los Angeles. And to be honest, I loved everything about it. I loved, uh, you know, the setup in El Segundo that they had at the practice rink. Uh, I, had, I loved the... Uh, the area where all the players lived in the South Bay, uh, you know, like you said, that's why I still spent time here in the summer. You know, me and my wife loved it so much that we ended up buying a place down here. And, you know, it's just one of those things when you when you deal with the salary cap that sometimes uh, uh, things and moves uh, have to be made and decisions have to be made by players and GMs. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, everything can't happen the way that you want. I mean, like I said, I loved, I loved being in Los Angeles. Obviously, I love the weather. The people, uh, to me, were unreal. The fans were unreal. You know, I loved calling the Staples Center my home rink. Uh, you know, there, everything about being a king was, was exactly uh, what I expected, and, and, and I really enjoyed it, and I, and I really tried to, to, to do my best to, to make a contract work. Uh, for me and and the team to to come to terms to stay in LA, but like I said, in, in, in a salary cap era, sometimes things don't go the way that you hope or the way that you plan. So uh, you know, and then I had to you know move on and, and think about my next step in my life and my career, and and uh, you know a big reason why I chose Edmonton, you know, was because uh, you know number one. You know, they had drafted uh, uh, Connor McDavid in the 2015 draft. And you hear a lot of things about a lot of players that come into the league that they're going to be the next one and all that type of stuff. But, you know, my, in, in my one season in L.A., I got to play against Connor three times. And I saw his talent as an 18-year-old and what he was able to do in our league already. And it caught my eye, and it was something that I saw and that I knew that he was the real deal and he was a generational talent. And so that, you know, obviously, uh, you know, brought my attention to him and the Edmonton Oilers. And, you know, it was a chance for me to reunite with my old GM, 
GM that I had the whole time while I was in Boston, Peter Shirelli, and who is now the GM of the Edmonton Oilers. So, uh, you know, those were the two main factors of me wanting to uh, be a part of the Oilers. And, you know, I, I see in Connor McDavid uh, him achieving the, the similar type of success that Sidney Crosby has achieved in his career. And that was something that I obviously wanted to, to be a part of, especially from, you know, already experiencing a Stanley Cup. I would love nothing more than to win another one. Uh, and that's something that I'll be chasing uh, for the rest of my career and, and, until I'm done. And, and I felt like playing with a guy like Connor McDavid and, and all my other teammates at Edmonton gives me the best chance of uh, achieving that goal. Milan, we'll get back to Edmonton in the upcoming season in just a second, but I've always wondered this. When you're a free agent in the process, it seems to happen so fast come July 1st, and you know, you're making such a big life decision. You signed a seven-year deal, six more to go on that contract. How are you able, and maybe not just you, but other players as well, able to come to terms so quickly and transition to a place that you've never played before and make such a big life decision in such a short amount of time? Yeah, that's, that's the tough part. You know, you're, like you said, you're making a decision of the unknown. You know, you don't, you know, you, you spend time in the city uh, when you're there on a road trip, but really you're only staying in a hotel and you're just kind of walking around downtown most of the time. So you don't really know what it's like to live there. Uh, you don't really know what it's like to be around the people there. You don't know what it's like to live there on a on a day to day basis. So yeah, you're 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 really signing up for 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 the unknown. And and to be honest, when you first get there, you're obviously you're excited about everything. Everything's new, all that type of stuff. And then you know it's just like okay. And then and then the real adjustment starts after after about two weeks, and you start adjusting to the, the new life that you, that you signed up for and to be honest uh, this year it took me it took me a little while to to adjust to a place like Edmonton uh, you know it's a smaller city uh, it's a smaller town uh, it's a lot colder than the places that I've, I've <laughs> played in the travel the travel is a lot more uh, there's a lot more travel you're you spend a lot more time on the road and you spend a lot more time on a plane uh, so yeah, it took me, it took me, uh, I would say probably until the middle of January, almost, uh, the start of, uh, February to really adjust to the lifestyle of, of, of being an Edmonton Oiler. And, uh, you know, that's, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of happy you asked that question because that's a lot of, uh, that, that's something that a lot of fans and people don't know, you know, you, 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 Especially when you have uh, a wife and kids, you have to just pick up and move everything, and, and boom, here you are. You have to start living and adjusting, and you know people want you to do it at the snap of your finger. So you know, and, and they expect to see the product uh, on the ice, you know, right away, and, and be your best on the ice right away. But unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't go like that. So, like I said, uh, the adjustment period was a uh, uh, took me a little longer than. What, what I had hoped, uh, especially, you know, being in, on three teams in, in three years. So, uh, you know, hopefully going into uh, this year, I'll definitely be more comfortable and, and know what know what to expect going into this year and, 
uh, hopefully it'll help uh, even uh, furthermore help my uh, adjustment going into my second season with the others. We're chatting with Milan Lucic here on Talk the Talk, Edmonton Oilers power forward. Milan, before we let you go, we have uh, maybe one or two more questions for you. You know, a lot of the hockey fans, you know, they like to know who are some of the guys in the league that, you know, you're playing on a certain night and you're just thinking to yourself on the way to the arena, this is going to be a dogfight tonight. Who are some of those players that are just tough with the puck or some defenseman you have trouble time with or, you know, just anything like that? Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of good players in this league. And, you know, the last, not just last, not just this past season, you know, the last two years, uh, every time, you know, you're playing Nashville, you're going, oh, you better be ready to play these guys. These <laughs> men can skate, they can move the puck. You know, if, when you're forechecking, you better be on your game because they know how to shimmy shake and they know, they know they're know they really good. So, uh, you know, it didn't surprise me uh, that they made the Stanley Cup Finals this year. And to be perfectly honest, I think if they didn't run into the San Jose Sharks last year, who, who were the best team, last year in the Western Conference uh, during the playoffs, they probably would have made the Stanley Cup playoffs last year as well. So, you know, they're, they're, they're a very tough team to play against because of their defensemen. Uh, you know, one of my good buddies, Drew Doughty, he's a tough, really, really tough guy to play against as far as defensemen go. Uh, so, yeah, those are, those are some of the guys in the league that definitely uh, cause uh, me a lot of trouble and, and, and are, give me a hard time to play against. But also those are, you know, those are those are the games that you kind of get up for and look forward to because, you know, you're always looking forward to a challenge and you always look to see if you can play your best against the best. And, and uh, you know, that's why I'm excited to head into this year because, you know, now teams aren't going to take us easy. You know, people are, are uh, going to be ready to play the Edmonton Oilers, so I'm excited to see how our team responds to that. Yeah, it seems last year you guys really turned the page. I mean, Edmonton for years had been the talk of they've got all these nice young pieces, but they just weren't able to put it together. Now the expectations are a bit higher. What are your expectations for your team, and what do you think NHL fans around the uh, the world should expect from you guys? Well, uh, you know, my expectations is that, you know, you, you hope that you keep improving. And obviously last year was a huge step in a different direction that the Oilers haven't been in since 2006. And that was, you know, making the playoffs and winning around in the playoffs. And, uh, you, you know, for me, I, I, I know it's not going to be easy, but you hope to improve on that. So we, I, I know we have the talent to do that. And I know we have the talent to put ourselves in the position that we were in last year. And that, that was, you know, game seven of the second round. So we were one win away from moving on to the conference finals. So, uh, there's no reason why uh, we we shouldn't be back where we were this year. And uh, but like I said, it only gets harder when teams um, you know expect uh, you know expect you be to be good uh, next season. And you know, like I said, my expectations for for our team is is uh, you know we 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 want to keep improving. We want to keep getting better, and, and we have the talent to keep getting better. And uh, you know, I have full confidence that we can do that. Uh, last question before we let you go. Kind of the talk of the NHL the last few months has been that for the first time in five Olympic winter seasons, the NHL will not be taking a break to allow their players to participate 
kind of you have a little bit of international experience give me your thoughts on this whole situation and would you be willing to leave your team mid-season to participate if you were offered that opportunity uh see there's a lot of gray area on what you're allowed and not allowed to do so uh you know it's it's for me i think it's a little unfortunate that uh the the best players in the world won't be a part of the olympics because you know that's what the olympics are about in my mind it's the best best athletes of that sport competing uh to make it the best and with if if it's still not a hundred percent that you know in my mind it's still not a hundred percent that nhl players aren't going but um you know if you know nhl players don't participate then to me it's not the best against the best uh tournament and to me that's what uh the olympics is all about so uh it would be unfortunate if if players couldn't participate in that because there is a lot of national pride not just for canadians you know for americans too and even you know even uh even the Europeans, they're they're very passionate about representing their con- uh, countries, especially in um, a tournament like the Olympics. You know, I played with a lot of Czechs and Slovakians, and you know they they want to be a part of that as much as you know Canadians do. And uh, yeah, so uh, like I said, it's, I, I still feel like it's not a hundred percent written in stone that NHL players are not going, but. Uh, like I said, I would love to see a best on best tournament if uh, if if I was the one in charge of uh, uh, of uh, NHL players being able to participate or not. Milan, thank you so much for coming on. It's amazing how fast thirty minutes goes by when you're having fun talking sports. Uh, Milan Lucic from the Edmonton Oilers. Thanks for coming on uh, Talk to Talk, and we wish you the best of luck in the uh, upcoming season. Milan, thank you so much. Good luck this season. All right, thank you, guys. All right, and we want to thank Edmonton Oilers forward Milan Lucic for coming on the show and taking the time. Milan, you gave us tremendous insight on kind of all things happening in the NHL, free agency, the upcoming season, and if you missed any of our previous episodes, make sure to check us out on SoundCloud or subscribe to us on iTunes at Talk to Talk. Follow us on Twitter at Talk to Talk. Hopefully now that all these crazy hurricanes have come and gone, we'll be back on a regular schedule getting out. Uh, getting podcasts out on a weekly basis so get excited for that i know darren and i are but for now this has been the latest episode of talk to talk thanks for listening